Financial Residency Podcasts are brought to you this week by weatherbyhealthcare.com. Just as the right advice helps you thrive financially, the right support team allows you to excel professionally. Weatherby Healthcare's locums experts will match you with the best jobs, prepare you for success, and provide 24-7 support. The bottom line is that working locums with Weatherby helps you earn more money and take better control of your career. If that sounds like music to your ears, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com payday to get started. Hi, and welcome to Financial Residency Grand Rounds with Dr. Tammy. Every week we get lots of questions about disability insurance, and I am so happy to welcome Michael Relvis with Insurance Consultants to the show today. Hi, Michael. How you doing, Tammy? It's Good. a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so glad you're joining us. I know Ryan had you on the show quite a bit and you're just a trusted advisor. So I'm so glad to have you with us. That's a good reputation to have. Yeah, we definitely want to help people out and get out some good information and make sure they're getting the information from the good guys. <laughs> Absolutely. So many of these people in this industry and other industries take advantage of physicians. So it is always good to have someone that I know will you know, treat us fairly with respect, honestly. So yeah, I'm glad to have you on the show. Exactly. Yep. And I'm glad to be here. So I know it's resident season. We have a ton of residents coming in. We have a ton of residents going out to their first attending job. What have you been noticing in the disability insurance industry? So you're entirely right. It is definitely resident season. All the transitions that are going on as we speak, it's you know June 30th, although obviously this will be listened to at different times. And this is probably the busiest time of year for us. One of the biggest misconceptions that's out there, you know, there are these discounts that physicians can qualify for as residents and as fellows. Some of those discounts apply even as attendings, but it's a little bit easier to get them as residents and fellows just because they're more common. And everybody's under the impression that June 30th is the last day to sign up for this. And that's the last day you can get it. And that's actually not true. Most companies will honor those discounts for about 90 days post-graduation or into the next academic year. Some even go a little bit beyond that, to be honest. We get all these cramped phone calls of, gosh, you know, finishing up in two days and I'm moving and I need to get this taken care of. And it's like, okay, well, we definitely procrastinated that one quite a bit, but um, <laughs> thankfully those discounts are going to still be there. It's not the end of the world. We will still be able to get them for you. And we got a little bit more time. That doesn't mean wait 85 more days to do this. It just means, you know, we're okay. And next week is going to be totally fine. We'll still be able to do it in July and August, all of that. So all the deals that people are looking for, we'll still be able to get them for everyone. It is definitely a very busy time of year. It's kind of amazing. This, you know, we build up for it and we're ready for it, but every year it tends to be very hectic. So one of the things I thought I'd share actually today is just a couple of tidbits, you know, mistakes that perhaps residents, fellows, physicians in general can avoid and just think through as they're looking at this. One of the big ones is, you know, right now is actually a great time for physicians who are buying disability insurance, really anybody. I think 15, 20 years ago, there weren't quite as many companies offering as good of coverage as is available today. And so one of the things that you really want to make sure you're doing is getting an understanding of what the market offers and evaluating multiple options, knowing, you know, looking at quotes from multiple companies, not just going with one, not just being illustrated one policy or one quote. And sometimes it could be that simple. You know, at the end of the day, it could be that there's one company, one option that's just so competitive, so attractive that that's the one you should go with. And that would be great. That would be really easy for you. That is not always the case. And that's actually not usually the case. Usually it's more of a, hey, there are these two or three good options and it's really up to you as to which one you think is best for your situation. So I think it's really important to make sure if you are in the market, if you are looking at this stuff and trying to get a policy in place, 
make sure that you're looking at multiple options. Don't just look at one. Don't just let somebody say, oh yeah, I can you know offer you all these others, but this is really the best one. Okay, well, that's pretty easy to see through that type of argument or that type of pitch. So make sure that you're getting a fair shake. You're having the opportunity to look at all of your options and are really being informed and educated rather than just sold something. I think that's a very important thing to consider at this time. That's a very good tip. Do the different companies specialize in different specialties? Does that have any bearing on the matter? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And actually, they kind of do. In general, across the board, this happens even with term life insurance. You know, some companies are notoriously more competitive for a 30-year term versus a 20-year term or for coverage levels above a million versus under a million or over 3 million versus under 3 million. Speaking across the board, most companies are very comparably priced at this point. You know, it's kind of a balance of understanding what you're getting versus what you're paying, not just only what you're getting or only what you are paying. But there do tend to be some companies that are a little bit more competitive in certain marketplaces. You are an anesthesiologist. Perhaps there's one company that tends to be a little bit more competitively priced almost across the board in every case. You know, not always, but in a lot of cases. Same thing, you know, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, maybe one company is a little bit more competitive than others or one of the IM subspecialties or something like that. So we definitely do see those trends. Disability insurance is still personalized enough, you know, being state-based, gender-based, medical specialty-based, age-based, it can fluctuate enough that I would never want to, you know, go on record saying all orthopedic surgeons should consider this or all anesthesiologists. I think that would be kind of just not appropriate to create that type of generalization. But yeah, absolutely. We definitely do see some trends you know, more of this specialty will go with this company just because they happen to be more competitively priced for that company or for that specialty. We definitely do see that for sure. So the second thing that I was going to bring up, which we see a tremendous amount of, and I really think this is very important for a lot of residents and fellows to hear, if there is anything in your medical history that would raise a red flag in applying for disability insurance, perhaps I'll take a step back. I'll give a little basis for that. Once you've gone through the quote process, you've evaluated your options, you know what company you want to go with. It sounds easy. And you go, okay, I'm ready to move forward. Well, take a step back because the next step is you got to go through medical underwriting. And so medical underwriting entails some pretty invasive, pretty comprehensive look at your medical history and everything's going to come up. If it's GI related, if it's mental health related, you know, something pretty personal, not everybody wants to share. If it is MSK related, if it's respiratory, if it's dermatologic, if it's a cancer history, if it's a OB-GYN issue in the history, there are all these things that could be there. And it's really important to know, and for the person who you're working with, the agent or broker that you're working with, to know all of that in advance. If you are being rushed into an application, it could be a really big mistake. And one of the big mistakes is that medical history is going to impact the outcome of that application and the terms under which you're eventually going to be offered, right? So it's great to look at these proposals and go, oh, this looks great. Well, if the company evaluates your medical history and comes back and goes, we can't offer you that, you know, we're going to remove this rider. We're going to give you a five-year benefit period instead of a benefit period to age 65. We're going to add on an exclusion for your entire spine, one for your shoulder, one for mental health, you go, what in the world? This isn't what I planned to sign up for. So it's really important to make sure that that medical history is discussed. Ideally, it should be as openly as possible. You know, hiding something is not a good idea. For one, it could come back to get you if you ever try to claim benefits on these policies. For two, chances are the insurance company is going to uncover it. You know, they'll run a script check. They'll know what pharmaceuticals you've been prescribed in the last few years. They'll run history on major medical claims. So if you've had a full workup and MRIs done for something MSK related, there's a good chance they're going to see it. And even if you don't disclose it, for one, it's not a good idea because you're giving them an opportunity to not have to pay your claim. 
But secondly, they're probably going to discover it throughout underwriting. So it, it is better to be open. And that way, the person who you're working with can lead you the best way possible. So that might be selecting one company over another. You know, maybe one company is a little bit more reasonable when it comes to, I don't know, mental health specifically. And maybe there's another company that's really unreasonable when it comes to mental health histories. Clearly, it would be to your benefit to apply to that company that's going to be a little bit more reasonable and more likely to give you a better outcome, a better policy after the medical underwriting process is through. It's a better customer experience. It's easier. It's less hassle. You know, to go through this twice because the first company you went with declined you or didn't offer you the terms you were hoping for is just frustrating for everybody and kind of a waste of time for everybody. The other thing is there are these policies out there. They're called guaranteed standard issue policies, or that's how they're offered on a guaranteed standard issue basis. So very simply, that means you don't have to go through medical underwriting. And there might be a question or two that's still medically related, but you're not going through this full medical underwriting process. And if there is something in your medical history that's going to raise red flags, going to cause exclusions, these plans might be more expensive, but they would be worth considering because you're going to avoid that exclusion. You're going to avoid having to divulge and disclose all that medical history information. And that could be really beneficial to you. The problem is if you've already applied to another company and you've been denied coverage or been offered coverage with an exclusion or some type of rating, any type of adverse action, basically, a not perfect policy, essentially, then it could negatively affect your ability to default and fall back to that guaranteed standard issue program. So it is really important that you're being open with the person you're working with. That person is asking you questions. They should be asking. If they're not, it's questionable as to whether they're doing what they really should be doing. It's important for us to know that information so that we can help people the best. And unfortunately, we've had our fair share of stories out there where people reach out to us and they go, oh, you know, I'm a resident at this location and I applied with this other company, but I was declined. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm fully getting the big picture. I feel like I'm not that unhealthy. I really should qualify. And unfortunately, sometimes those people just were never told that option was there. It's extremely frustrating for the consumer. Even from our perspective, it's extremely frustrating because that other broker or agent easily could have done the right thing, just become a little bit more informed and given them that information. So another important tidbit for consumers to know is that sometimes there is a financial conflict of interest when it comes to this surrounding these guaranteed standard issue programs. And that's that many of them are exclusively available through one agent or one agency, which means if you're not that agent or you're not a part of that agency, you can't offer it, which also means you can't be compensated on it. And so unfortunately, you know, you follow the trail of the money and you kind of see where the recommendation came from in some sure. instances. And this is one of those things where that individual that you reached out to, that brokerage might not be so motivated to tell you about it because they can't offer it to you. All they're going to be doing is going, oh, wow, you know, stinks. I can't help you. You got to call this other person. That's what they should do. They should do it automatically because that's the right thing to do. Yet it's amazing how many people are not willing to do that or don't care to take the five minutes to learn enough about those programs to be able to better help their customers or their clients. So that's a pretty important one. We do see, you know, a lot of medical history information, and this isn't something that everybody should expect. They're not available everywhere. Maybe you're fortunate enough that you're at one of those GME programs, one of those hospitals, and you can get it. And it's really important for you to know that in advance, because again, applying elsewhere and having adverse action on that application is not going to be favorable for you. It might actually crush the opportunity of getting that other option in the first place. When you have been declined for a disability insurance policy, how long does that haunt you? Like if you come back as an attending 10 years later, will they still see that you were declined as a resident or is there a that, time when that falls off? Yeah, that's a great question. So that decline is going to be there. You know, the insurance companies have a database that they share 
where they can get those codes. It's not that they're going to figure out exactly what it was. It's just going to be a code that they'll see. And that code is going to tell them, okay, this was because of something cardiac related, or, you know, this person disclosed something mental health related. And it's enough to trigger that new insurance company to come back and say, hey, we see this code here. Give us that history. You know, what was that history? We need that information. So it really depends. Sometimes people will apply to a company that they probably had no business applying to in the first place. You know, that company might be really tight with regard to something specific in that person's medical history. Whereas if they had gone someplace else, that company would have approved them. So in that type of a situation, it really doesn't haunt you very long. Sure, you've been denied. It's, you know, a red flag that's on your kind of history there now. But if that second company you go to was going to offer you coverage anyway, they're going to see the decline, but they're still going to offer you coverage because they would have offered it regardless, right? If you had gone to them first, you just would have saved yourself the heartache and saved yourself the red flag that's on your record. But there are some instances where that decline is something that's going to last a little bit longer. And it's not to say that the next insurance company you go to, or three years later, if you try again, that they're automatically going to decline you. They are going to be alerted. They're going to see that. And I think the key to this type of situation is that you've spoken with someone who is doing due diligence for you, knows the market a little bit, knows how these companies will underwrite you to make sure that second go around, you're going to be approved. There's no point in filling out an application, going through it. There's no point in trying to hide it. They're going to see it, at least for some pretty lengthy period of time. So I think the better thing is work with someone who's going to help you actually navigate this and figure out where the best chance is for you to get that coverage. I think that's really the key. So unfortunately, a lot of people do think, you know, oh, if I get declined, it's like this big red flag that I can never get rid of. And in the event where there is a guaranteed standard issue plan at your GME office or your hospital, yes, you're right. That really actually hurts you pretty significantly because you can't get it now. But if we're not in a situation where we have that fallback option, there is no guaranteed standard issue. And all you can do is try and go through underwriting. Then I think it's just simply most important to make sure you're navigating it right, going to the company that's going to be the most likely to give you the best chance at actually qualifying for good terms. I think that's the key. Are you as a broker or agent able to go into that database and see if there's a red flag before you place the application with any particular company? We cannot. Thankfully, I'm sure some people would find some way of using that to their advantage. So it's a good thing that just the insurance companies have (laughs) access to that. No, we cannot. We try to ask people to be transparent. We explain that, you know, the reason why they should be transparent with us. But no, we don't have access to those types of databases. Even when insurance companies order medical records and get, you know, a lot of confidential HIPAA protected information, it's really very limited what the insurance companies, what the underwriters can even discuss with us, just because those are covered by HIPAA privacy. A lot of times insurance companies will have a release for people to sign, you know, so you as a client can sign and say, hey, insurance company, yes, you can talk to my broker, give them all the information you need or that he or she needs to make sure that they're able to help me as best as possible. So that's usually what it takes because there are some limitations as to what they can even divulge to us. Okay. And then how far back and how invasive is this when they go into your medical history? I mean, is this all the way to birth? Is it every mental health counseling session you've ever had? Do they get to read all the notes? How invasive is this? That's also a great question. So it does get pretty invasive depending on the company, depending on the state. So again, there's that disclaimer. This is so unique because every state is different. Every company is a little bit different. Some questions do go back lifetime. Cancer related questions. You know, have you ever had cancer? That often tends to be a ever question. So even if it was at two years old, it's got to be disclosed. But then there are some companies that only ask about the last 10 years. So mostly it's going back about 10 years. Some companies will go back a little bit beyond that. Anything in the last 10 years, though, is kind of what you should assume 
you'll have to divulge and disclose if it's more serious. It's very interesting. There's a question on most applications, which is intended to be a recapture question. You know, as you approach these applications, you've kind of got to keep in mind that these were worded very carefully for a very specific reason. And the insurance companies are asking questions in a certain way because they want to capture as much information as they can. So even if you've made it through the bulk of that medical history questionnaire, and we're able to say, no, I've never been treated for any of these conditions, or I've never been diagnosed for any of these conditions, there's usually a capture question that says, in the last five years, have you basically seen any healthcare professional under the sun? Legitimately, like chiropractor, physical therapist, physician, you know, NP, PA, it, it names all of it. And that's the intent is they want to get all of that information. And people are quick to be like, no, I haven't seen anybody. And it's like, really? In five years, you haven't seen anybody? <laughs> that's kind of hard to believe. And so these questions do end up catching, even if you can say no, to a lot of the, have you been diagnosed with type of question, usually you're still having to divulge something because it's pretty uncommon that someone has not consulted any healthcare professional at all over a five-year time frame. Maybe it was a physical exam, maybe it was a well visit, maybe it was a eye checkup, you know, all of those things are technically supposed to be disclosed. But yeah, to answer the original question, about 10 years is really what we mostly see. That's what most companies are going back. Okay. Is it typically better to purchase a disability insurance policy as a resident before you get into your attending years? So we get this question a lot. We get a lot of people who call in and ask for multiple reasons. One of the biggest things we get is that people are thinking of buying this for financial reasons, not because of the protection, but benefits because the premiums are lower. So in other words, if you're younger, it's going to cost you a little bit less. If you can access a discount, of course, that discount is going to help this make the premiums a little bit lower. And so people will call in and say, oh, I've been told that if I buy this as a resident, it's cheaper. And I go, that's true. Yes, it is cheaper generally, but that's not why you should do this. You should do this because you already have something to lose and you want to protect that. That's really what disability insurance is doing. And this isn't just something that you buy and you buy it as a first year resident because somebody told you that it was going to be a little less costly. In fact, I would put the cost factor as like the third tier of reasons why you should do this. The very first reason you should do it is because you need disability insurance in case you actually become disabled. While it might not be as common for someone who is 27 or 32 to become disabled as someone who's, I don't know, 60 years old or 58 years old, it still happens. And we don't know who it's going to happen to. So you could play the lottery game on that and say, oh, well, I'm just going to you know, wing it and see what happens. And hopefully I'll get through and I won't be that person that becomes disabled. But this does happen. And if you ask enough of your co-residents or of your colleagues, they probably know somebody who it did happen to. So it is happening. And that is the number one reason that residents should really get disability insurance during residency is because they already have something to lose. They've already invested time, obviously through med school, already invested money, of course, in loans, or at least for most people. So there's something that's worth protecting. And the amount of coverage that you can get as a resident, so a little bit of in the weeds, as a resident, most companies will offer you up to $5,000 of monthly disability insurance benefit. That's what you can generally get. And sometimes we get people who say, oh, well, maybe that's more than I need. And it's maybe it's more than you can afford. That's for sure on a resident salary. You know, that sure. can be unreasonable sometimes. But is it more than you need? Probably not because $5,000 a month, although that sounds like a lot on a resident salary, it is more than an after-tax resident income. But in the big picture, $5,000 a month is really not a lot. And having that is not going to save anybody, right? It's not going to make anybody be able to live on the beach forever and not have to worry about this. But it is going to make it a little bit easier for their family. It's going to be a little easier for themselves if they happen to become disabled and they have to restructure, refocus, find a new career path, go into something else, or have a period of time where they can't work at all. So having that covered is really the most important thing. I would say the second most important thing is good health. If you have your good health right now, 
it is amazingly important to lock that in. And we see it all the time. You know, we'll talk to people who go, oh yeah, I'm generally healthy, but I did have this thing happen six months ago. And it's like, gosh, I wish you called me 12 months ago. <laughs> um, it would have been a lot easier then. We see that a lot. And if you are in good health and you understand the value of disability insurance and you're interested in getting it, that should really be the second reason that you get it. And the cost factor kind of comes in after that. As a resident, maybe saving $20 a month makes a big difference throughout your career as a physician. That certainly will not really make a big difference. It's 100% not changing whether you retire at 65 or 62, or at least I hope not. Something else is really going wrong there. So the cost is a factor. It is less costly. But really, the thing that should be focused on is there is a need here, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, whether you want to ignore it or not, there's absolutely no pressure on that. I get it. Everybody has their own situation. Affordability is an issue. No problem. Fully understand that. But there is a need. And I think that's pretty hard to argue that there's not there. It is. It's there. That person has already invested a lot into their craft, into their career path, and they should have that coverage for that reason. So it is less costly, but that shouldn't be the reason you buy it. That makes sense. And I don't know if this is a rumor. I don't know if it's true or not. I should have asked you before the show. Are there tax benefits to having a privately held disability insurance policy versus having like a company provided disability insurance policy, maybe as far as income tax is concerned? So it would be important for people to understand how these policies are handled from a tax standpoint. So put out a disclaimer there. I'm not a CPA. I'm not an accountant. I don't give tax advice. It's not what this is. And if you have any questions, you should consult a tax professional, of course. <laughs> so generally speaking, when you buy a private disability insurance policy, you are paying the premiums for that on an after-tax basis. In other words, you are using money that has already come through, already paid Uncle Sam, and what's left over is what you're using to pay for those premiums. And as of today, that means that the benefits that you would receive if you become disabled should be income tax-free. It's kind of a way of saying, okay, this is a pretty responsible thing. You're taking your after-tax dollars to do this. So we're not going to get you again. If you actually need it, we're going to let you get the full amount. So when a resident or when anybody is buying a policy and they're buying a $5,000 monthly benefit, that's actually what they're going to get on an income tax-free basis. You don't okay. owe anything out of that. When a policy is provided through an employer, and again, this could be customized in different ways to where that benefit can also be income tax-free. But generally speaking, if the employer pays the premium, and there is no calculation for that imputed tax on that premium, and they're just paying for it, well, that employer gets to take the deduction for it, right? They deduct it as a business expense, as a benefit for their employee. Because that money has not been taxed yet, they're getting a deduction for it. The tax implication is passed on to the person who's receiving it at the time of a claim, which means most group policies, again, it's not all of them. You've got to look at the details of how your policy is structured, whether your employer includes the premium dollars that they're paying as part of your W-2 wages. If they do, then that benefit could be income tax-free. But generally speaking, if they pay for it, you never see it, you never pay anything for it, that benefit will come in on a taxable basis. So when you think, oh, okay, this covers me, you know, I got $15,000 a month of benefit. Well, not really. It's $15,000, but then Uncle Sam's going to get his share also. So that actually is a part of what creates the opportunity for individuals to have what's called supplemental coverage. So basically a private policy that fills that gap. And part of that gap is the taxation of that group benefit. You know, somebody who is provided with group disability insurance may want to have a private policy because they don't really have 15,000 or 60%. It's a taxable 60% and the private policy will help get them to that actual higher number that they want to have. That makes sense. We had talked a little bit before the show, and you said over the past couple of years, some of the vital statistics have changed, more death, more disability, maybe that's related to COVID. Do you think that's going to affect insurance policies moving forward? 
this is an interesting time in the insurance world because there has been a lot of data indicating that especially mortality rates have changed and the tables are changing. So we'll have to see what ends up happening. I mean, it's hard to you know forecast that, but there is definitely a little bit of questioning as to whether rates maybe will, for the first time in a long time, actually increase rather than continue to stay stable or go down, especially just through the grapevine. I've heard commentary on that with regard to life insurance, you know, term life insurance rates, and just in general across the life insurance industry. So we'll have to see what happens, but it's definitely a frontline issue right now because it could change. It could definitely be changing. We really haven't seen price increases in quite a while. If anything, it's gone down, you know, maintains stability. I have a feeling we might see that change a little bit in the next couple of years. Fascinating. I never would have expected, and I'm assuming maybe COVID had something to do with that. Never would have expected COVID to affect insurance policy rates, you know, two or three years down the road, but it makes sense, you know, once you've explained it. Of course. Yeah. There's always that trickle down. Yep. It affects (laughs) way more areas than we thought. (laughs) So the third point that I was going to bring up here, and this is kind of just a general point, disability insurance. A lot of people can feel overwhelmed when they're trying to get into this arena and learn about it and buy a policy. And I understand that because it could be a little overwhelming simply because of the amount of information that is there that needs to be evaluated. But I will tell you, it is really not that difficult. So there are, you know, many brokers, agents out there, marketing is a big part of the insurance world, how you market the products that you're offering and all that stuff, creating fear factors, motivating people to buy insurance, right? Or motivating people to work with you to buy their insurance. And it is something that's very often referred to as very difficult, you know, something that you don't have the time to navigate and you just can't do it. And, you know, you should really just work with somebody who's going to help you do the whole thing. And I agree with that. You should work with someone who's going to help educate you on the whole thing. But this is not difficult. So don't let anybody convince you that this is so difficult that you just need to take their advice. You don't. What you need to do is take their information and their experience and ask those questions. And you want them to share that with you, share their perspective, share what they can offer based on their experience, and then use that to make the decision that you think is best for your situation. And so don't discount how easy this really is to navigate. If you just have somebody who's helping you actually understand it and go through those differences with you, it's not something that's going to take you 20 hours of time. It's something that's going to take you 45 to 60 minutes on a phone call, someone who's good at explaining things and can help you navigate that. And I think it'll do a lot in helping people get the information they need to make informed decisions rather than being walked into something just to move the process along, right? There's unfortunately a lot of people out there, a lot of brokers and agents who might try to just kind of motivate you to move along, just make a decision and kind of move on. And it's really not fair that's the case because I think it's important for each consumer to be given the information that they can make their own decision. I mentioned it earlier. This is a very competitive time for buying disability insurance. There are a lot of good policies out there. The contractual differences are really not all that significant. We're not talking about a policy that has something versus one that doesn't. Maybe just this one has a slightly better variation or version of a similar feature. And I think that's really important for consumers to know. This shouldn't be oversimplified to where you're not actually getting the full story. This is not that difficult in nature. If somebody explains it to you, you will catch on and you will be able to make a more informed decision by doing it that way, rather than just kind of going down this pipeline of, oh yeah, I don't have time for this. And I don't want to take you know 45 minutes to make this big decision of how much I'm going to spend and where I'm going to spend it and which policy I'm getting and how well am I protecting myself and my family. I think it's important to give a little bit of time to that. So for those who are feeling the rush, feeling like it's June 30th and I got to get this today, which you don't, you have 90 more days to still get those discounts. Take a little bit more time, have a conversation with someone who you feel is really helping you and understanding what those differences are, what the decision is really coming down to. I think it'll go a long way. It'll give you some reassurance 
the goal with this is to buy something that's right, know your options, make the right decision so you can set it and forget it, go back to doing what you enjoy doing, but take some time to do your due diligence and don't just get kind of walked into it. I just appreciate the relationship that you've had with financial residency over the years before I was even involved with financial residency, because I feel like you've given our listeners and people that come to this website, good, honest advice. And even if you were not the right person to help them, I feel like you would tell them that. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say. We do it often. Yeah. Just because someone takes the time to educate you, a really good professional in their industry will also say, I'm not the right one to help you if that's the case. But I also feel like hopefully that comes back to help you tenfold. If you're honest with someone, maybe they'll refer 10 of their friends and maybe you are the right person to help their friends. It has worked out in the long term. If not for anything else, it certainly helps me sleep better at night to know that. <laughs> you know, I did the best thing that I could and I don't ever have to think about that. And my wife and my kids, you know, I can say, hey, I sell insurance for a living. You know, that might not be the most glamorous thing, but you know what? I'm actually doing this a really good way. And I feel very good about how I'm doing it and making sure that I'm, you know, giving people the information they need. And that's really important to me. So. Well, thanks for having this relationship with financial residency. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a pleasure being here. It was great chatting as always. If someone wanted to get in touch with you and ask those questions, how would the best way to get in touch with you be, Michael? So I do have a website, which I think is on the financial residency website that could be accessed, but the website, the easiest way to go to it would just be www.mrinlikenancyco.com. It'll redirect you to the longer website that I actually use, but that'll be the easier way to do it. And certainly anybody can give me a call 800-817-4522. We're always happy to help however we can. This is obviously a very hectic time. So Unfortunately, if you do try to reach out and it takes me a couple of days to get back to you, just understand, I promise I'm not ignoring you. I do want to help you. There's just other people also that need help. And so we try to keep that all in order and stay current, but sometimes we fall behind. So yeah, absolutely. Anybody who's interested, anybody who has any questions, anybody who needs a second opinion, to be quite honest, I'm happy to do that as well, just to kind of shed some light and say, hey, maybe the person you're working with is doing a really good job, feel confident, go with it. Or, hey, wait, you're not getting the full story. And maybe I can offer some additional information that you weren't provided. So we'd be happy to chat with anybody who needs it. And like I said, we always enjoy being a part of these shows and putting out some good information for people. Well, I appreciate it. And I'd like to thank all of the listeners for listening today. And I hope you'll join me next week on Financial Residency. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, Securities Products and Advisory Services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, Financial Representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York, PAS is wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian, MR Insurance Consultants is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian, California license number 0G91249, AR Insurance license number 8913976, submission number 2022140697, expiration 724. Financial Residency would like to thank our sponsor this week, weatherbyhealthcare.com. If you're ready to start boosting your earning power with locums, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com slash payday to learn more.